0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.
1: But most of us have bought into the cultural lie that a job is just a job. Like mm-hmm. 70% of Americans are dissatisfied at work. That the the line I always do is that there's a reason we eat at TGI Fridays, not TGI Mondays. (laughs) Um, And so what happens is you spend 18 years getting ready for college, and then you graduate, and the next thing you get ready for death and retirement. And there's this 40 year gap where you just kind of get by. And so the fun thing is we all have these elements we just haven't applied them. And you need all four. Like if you only have three, the whole thing falls apart. Like say you have tremendous relationships, like crazy skills, crazy hustle, but your character takes a hit, you become Tiger Woods and it, it falls apart. Like when commentators right now are like, it's so weird. He's not good at golf. I always think like, is it that weird? Cause a part of his life blew up. Yeah. Like, of course it impacted the others. Now, is there a chance for a second chance in redemption? Of course there is, but it's, you know, the things like when one leg gets knocked out, it's difficult.
2: I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at UnmistakableCreative.com.
3: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe,
2: your business is always at your fingertips. John, welcome to the unmistakable creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, I wanted to have you here because you've been long requested by many of our listeners long before we were in call the unmistakable creative, even the earliest days when we were just interviewing bloggers and, you know, as I've researched your work, it seems like you've basically made sort of an iconic career for yourself out of all of this. So where I'd like to start really is with the story, the journey and the background that has led you to all of the work that you're up to in the world today.
1: Yeah. Um, background, I, I, you know, in third grade, uh, a teacher laminated some poems I wrote and I felt published. <laughs> um, and I was like, I want to be a writer. And then I'd love to say that like, and then I went on a writing streak, but, you know i was in 3rd grade so i probably like jumped a bike off of a pile of dirt the next day and i didn't think much about the writing but it stuck with me and so in high school i wrote some poetry and then in college i fell into advertising i love i love advertising writing because it's about action like my favorite type of writing inspires somebody to action Um, and advertising does that. And so I, I went, I studied journalism in college and started to work at a small ad agency and then ended up working at big corporations in their marketing departments or their IT departments. So companies like Home Depot and Staples and Bose and and along the way kind of felt frustrated creatively because I wanted to do more. And a friend said, you know, you should start a blog. And I, I had one in 2001 and it wasn't, I don't even know if we said blog then. It was, called SweetRaymond.com, and it was terrible. And it was I was doing it with Dreamweaver, and I just felt like there was creativity that I had that wasn't going to work. And so I, I started interviewing bands, and I was not good at that either. Um, but I'll never forget this guy, John Andrasik, um, who was five for fighting. He had this song, Superman, that was really popular. I asked him a question. He said, well, you're a rock critic. You know what it's like. And it was the first time I realized, like, the internet offers you the ability to be anything you want. Now, you have to be that when you show up. Like The good part of the internet is it offers you that. The bad part is it offers you that too. You can kind of fake and build this facade. And so I I started this second blog in 2007 and then another one in 2008. And that one gained some ground. And from there, I started – I got a book offer. I got to become a public speaker. And that kind of started the ball rolling and then this famous guy, Dave Ramsey, said, hey, we want to teach you how to really do this and, and help you kind of expand it. And so we moved to Nashville, and I, did, I worked with him for about three years. And then after three years, I felt like it was time for me to jump. And so that was two years ago. So it's been a, it's been a fun, curvy ride.
2: Mm. You know what? I, I want to go back to the poems being laminated. And I'm curious why you think most people write off moments like that in their life.
1: I think there's a one. They're so special, they're afraid of them. Wow. Um, I think the things we love the most, we have the hardest time admitting. Um, you know, it's like it's hard for people to admit to say out loud, "I'm a photographer" or "I'm a writer." And so, I think part of it is if you really love it, it's really hard. I mean, I, I work with people all the time that they'll they have no problem promoting like some silly email sign up thing like sign up for and get my free PDF or whatever they have no problem talking about that, but then they write a book and they're quiet <laughs> and the reason they're quiet is because it's their heart work uh-huh. you know, and if somebody doesn't like it, it hurts and so I think that's part of it is the fear of it It's so special to us that we're afraid of it. I think the other thing is that there's this and this this is old as, as all get out. There's this great kind of lie of apathy, where apathy will tell you it's better to stand on the sidelines and say, I could have written a book, I could've started a business, I could have done all these things if I really wanted to, I just didn't want to, than it is to jump into the mix of things and find out you're not as good as you thought. Like that would really hurt. So you get twenty percent of the kind of buzz standing on the sidelines and you can lie to yourself for years and years and years and years and years, and then like this this thing that happens is that people buy into that and they, re- they refuse to kind of jump into the game. Um, and then the other thing is that we, it's easier to binge watch Netflix than it is to do something that matters. Like that's just the reality of life. Like it's easier to manicure your fantasy football team with great detail than it is to sit down for a minute and think about your career with detail. Like And, and we fill our schedules so full. And part of the reason is as long as you're busy, you can blame your calendar. So, you know, people go, I just, so my calendar is so full. I don't have time to do the things that matter. And it's really easy because then you can hide from them. So I think there's this storm, like this perfect storm of reasons people don't, people write off moments like that.
2: Mm -hmm. Okay. So how do we start to change the internal narrative so that it pulls us off the sidelines and into the game? I mean, yeah, there's no question. I've faced exactly the doubts that you're talking about. And I I think about that even in the process of, of getting to write a book, uh, that my big fear right now is wait a minute this is way harder than i thought maybe i'm not as good as i thought i was and i'm saying that as somebody who's you know getting to do a book deal with a publisher
1: yeah and not a publisher like a significant serious <laughs> like it's you'll have a small penguin on the back of your book like that's unbelievable yeah so how so how do we quiet the narrative yeah i think it's a i mean i think it takes time um, I think it takes community. The older I get, the more I realize how important community is. Um, I don't think we're supposed to do this alone, any creative endeavor. Um, I put in I, – I wrote this book, Do Over, and I put this quote in there from this guy, Roy, Roy H. Williams. And he said, you know, sometimes the things we're trying to do, the things, the voices we have, like the talents we're good at, the skills, whatever, it's impossible for us to see them because it's like trying to read the label from inside the bottle. Mm-hmm. And so there's some situations in life and I think this is one of them where we need friends to tell us the truth about the voice. Like I think it's almost impossible to go inside your head and go, "Okay, voices, let's argue and I'll win." <laughs> like no you won't. Like the we can talk ourselves into anything. Uh-huh. Like we're the most persuasive people we know. And so I think it's really important to have a friend that you can say, "Hey, I've got this thing that I've always wanted to do and I'm afraid to do it and here's why I'm afraid. What do you think?" and have them go yeah, I think it's appropriate to have fear. It's a big change, but here's what you're not seeing, or here's a talent you have that you don't think is really a talent because you're used to it. I think, um, I think it was Derek Seavers that said like uh, something. His quote was something like, "It's ordinary to us and amazing to everyone else. Like mm-hmm. the things we're good at are ordinary to us because we we do them. Doesn't mm-hmm. everybody do that? No, they don't. But like, that thing's amazing. So I think that's part of how you quiet the narrative. Mm. These are long answers, by the way. No, they're is, not. I'm not. These aren't very good media answers. They tell you in media training, short, I short,
2: punchy. Don't, I don't like media answers, and you'll, yeah. you'll, you'll start to figure that out as we keep talking.
1: Well, good, good. I don't, I don't want to just ramble. I mean, I am rambling,
2: but. Okay, so l- let me ask you this. Uh, there's two questions that arise from this for me. One is, how do you figure out what that one thing is? And do you think everybody has it? That's another one.
1: Yeah. uh, The first answer is no, like the narrative's wrong there. It's not one thing. Yeah. Like the, the big lie that we culturally believe is we think that like, we believe in what I call the soulmate version of purpose. We're like, I don't believe that there was one woman for me to marry and she was in Argentina. And if I never went to Argentina, like, oh, well, like I don't, I don't believe in that. And I don't believe in that with purpose either, where Uh there's like this one all consuming 50 year purpose That you're going to do. I I just don't think that's true. Um, So I think right out of the gate that puts this tremendous pressure on people to pick the perfect thing and to to pick it almost before they've done it. Mm -hmm. Like I'm a much bigger believer that like hard work and hustle tends to reveal purpose versus uh, until I figure out the purpose, I can't know if it's the right one, so I won't do one. Like Mm -hmm. that cripples people before they even begin. Um, So I think that's that's part of it. And then from there, you start to find some simple ways to go, okay, let me explore this. Let me experiment with this. Like let me, because I think our big fear, and it's one I have, is that what if I I spend a year doing something and it's the wrong thing? Like Mm -hmm. I look up at the end of the year and it's the wrong thing. And, and I remember Zig Ziglar, um, this, you know, famous motivational guy used to tell this story of a woman who said, you know, um, I'm 40 now and I've always wanted to be a nurse, but if I go back to nursing school, I won't be done until I'm 44. And he said, well, here's the thing. In four years, you're going to be 44 regardless. So you could be 44 and a nurse, or you could just be 44. Mm -hmm. And that kind of took away that time fear. So I, I think there's experiments you do There's stuff you start to figure out, Um, and then you have to be flexible. Like I told my my little sister, she's 15 years younger than me, and she was talking about her major in college, and I I told her, you know, the things I'm doing with my life right now, I couldn't have majored in because they didn't exist. Yeah. Like I couldn't have picked social media as a major because it physically did not exist. Mm -hmm. So there's this hubris in us to think at 18 or 19 or 22 or 32, you'll figure out this one perfect thing and then do it for. Like, no, you won't. You don't, and, and you don't like the challenge to life to me is the tension of you control more than you think and you control a lot less than you think. Hmm. Um, I think both of those statements are true and that's, that's why life is, is challenging and beautiful and messy. Um, you don't like when people tell me their 10 year plan, I think that's adorable. Like how (laughs) that's so cute that you have one of those, like it's not going to happen that way, but by All all means, let's. Let's think it is, you know? And so I think there is this sense of planning and goals and discipline and you plan as much as you can, but then there's a flexibility of, I never saw this coming because it's a vast, crazy connected world and awesome. I'm going to react to it.
2: Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You know, I, it's, we've spent seven years working on this show. Uh, and I, I remember thinking at there are certain points where I, I thought, have I wasted seven years of my life? Like, what if I just spent seven years and it leads nowhere? And, you know, that narrative, I think even getting to the point that I have, it still troubles me at times.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, and in those moments, you forget things like I'm getting to publish a book with Penguin. <laughs> like, yeah, it hasn't been a waste. Like, yeah, I've had conversations that changed the way I think in ways I can't even understand. Mm-hmm. You know, like I've talked to Seth Godin, like there's so many things like that. And I, again, I think it's—I don't know—the other thing I think is that we we try to call the results too quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I think I talk about that a little on Do-Over, how we'll have like we'll spend ten years doing something and then we'll try something new and we'll try it for a month and then we'll compare our progress to what took us ten years and we'll go I'm not good at art like mm-hmm. I was a way better accountant and you go well yeah 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 being an accountant took you ten years and you've given art like a minute mm-hmm. like give it give it some breath. You know?
2: Yeah, without a doubt. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, one of the things that's really interesting to me, and the reason I'm curious and I, and I want to talk about this is because you might be able to help me wrestle through a chapter <laughs> in the book that I'm stuck on. Uh, one of the things that tends to happen when we start to go in the direction of a calling uh, or making our art is the voices of other people tend to get really, really loud, uh, and the weight of their expectations gets really heavy. And I'm curious why you think that is and how we deal with it.
1: Um, I think there's a few different reasons that happens. One um, is there's a, it's really hard to watch somebody else chase their dream when you're not chasing yours. Mm-hmm. Like it stirs up so much residual shame and guilt and frustration and anger um, in your life. And so in some situations, people's voices get loud because they're reacting out of hurt. Um, you know, I, I wrote a story about my daughter, we were, um, we were in the parking lot of Walmart and I was, we had a full cart and I was riding the grocery cart down this hill because awesome, and <laughs> she was like, Daddy, stop, you're making us jealous, and I thought, that's the most honest statement ever because an adult has a self-awareness to edit. An adult would have said, stop, you're going to get hurt, stop, it's against the rules, stop, you'll hit a car, but an, a, a nine-year-old just says what's well, true. And so I think a lot of times when you're chasing your dream, what people are saying is stop. You're making us jealous. Um, the other thing, and here's where, here's the tension of the things we have to own. If we were really being honest, sometimes we look for people who will criticize us mm-hmm. and will tell us we're not good enough to confirm the fears we have inside. So then we have a consensus. And so we launched this secret mission to find people that disagree with what we're doing, So that we can throw fire, like throw like a bond, you know, a log into the fire of our fear. Mm -hmm. And so then we can go, see, I knew I wasn't good. Like I already feel like I'm not good at it. And now I found three people that feel the same way. Um, So I think that's, that's part of it. And then the other thing is like, they're not going to, I was thinking about this yesterday. Like I got a one-star review on, (laughs) on do over and Uh you should never read those. Like Seth Godin hasn't read his reviews on Amazon in three years. Like he talks about that publicly. Yeah. And But there's this stupid part of me that's like, oh, man up, be tough enough. Like, that's ridiculous. No, you don't have to. And the problem with criticism right now is that there's no cost. Mm -hmm. It doesn't cost anything. So when the cost to criticize is nothing, you get nothing worth value. So, like, one random dude named David, that's all he had to put on Amazon, like Mm – he wasn't a verified reader Mm -hmm. or verified purchase can go hey this thing and like he hasn't invested anything he hasn't exposed anything it's not like a criticism in the New York Times where that's the person's career and they've got their name (laughs) like he's there's no cost to him Uh and so and he thought like he thought the book he was like he used illustrations to overfill the pages and on my end I'm thinking oh my gosh like it's 70,000 words that's the longest book I've ever written like, uh-huh. Penguin was telling me, we need you to cut it. Like, the illustrations were buying, like, that's a really stupid way to ever try to expand a book is to be like, I added a picture of a dinosaur, so that'll <laughs> buy me four lines of copy. Like, no writer would, like, and, and no publisher like Penguin would go, oh, yeah, we got to stretch the book, get some dinosaur illustrations. Like, I added the illustrations because illustrations rule. Like, mm-hmm. they're fantastic. And so I just thought, you know, it was very freeing because I realized... I think it's my best work and he thinks it's my worst. Mm. Um, And he liked another one of my books that I would say wasn't, to me, wasn't as good as do-over. And so as an artist, as a creator, and by creator you can be, you know, starting a business, whatever creative endeavor you do, you're going to create your best thing and somebody's going to say it's your worst and you're going to create your worst thing and somebody's going to say it's your best. And neither one of those things really matter a whole lot. It's, It's about the act of doing it. And so there's some, once you kind of realize that it becomes very freeing. So I was like, Oh, okay. Well then like, that's, that's just one dude. And I, you know, it was the book I worked the hardest on and he thinks I didn't, but he doesn't know me and that's okay. Like he, and he gets to have an opinion. Like yeah. my wife does not like the red hot chili peppers. <laughs> A lot of people do. It doesn't make Jenny wrong. It doesn't make the chili peppers right. Like she personally is like, yeah, I don't like them. Uh-huh. Or like anytime they come on, she's like, Ugh, the chili peppers. But they, a lot of people love them. We each get to have our opinion.
2: It's funny how you remember uh, that kind of a critic so well and in such depth. Because I can tell you that one of the two star reviews of my book, I, I know in depth.
1: Oh yeah, well, and I, I put there's a, there's an idea in Stark, uh, the book I wrote before, Do Over, called Critics Math, and Critics Math is that the formula is one insult plus one thousand compliments equals one insult. <laughs> <laughs> and the story I told in there was from Rolling Stone and it was with Larry David, the creator of Seinfeld and you know, Curb Your Enthusiasm and he went to Yankee Stadium to watch a game and during the game they found out he was there and they put him on the big screen and 50,000 people gave him a standing ovation and they started to play the theme song to Curb Your Enthusiasm and then later that night in the parking lot somebody pulled up next to him and rolled their window down and said hey Larry, you suck and then they drove away and the whole rest of the night he talked to the reporter about the one guy who yelled at him and so criticism made 50,000 people invisible yeah like it made a whole stadium disappear so yeah we as we we as a, a, a race as a humanity whatever we can we can memorize insults and and totally forget compliments mm.
2: You know, it's interesting. You brought up your daughter and uh, this tendency for us as adults to self-edit. You know, I say that self-awareness is one of the occupational hazards of adulthood. And there are two things that I'm really interested in hearing uh, from your perspective, especially as somebody who's a father, uh, why you think our education has this sort of linear achievement-oriented, no-room-for-failure path, and also how we start to bring back or or remove that tendency to self edit and that excessive level of self-awareness that comes with adulthood.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I think I've heard much smarter people. I think Seth Godin has, has talked about that a lot. Like the idea of what part of the educational system is based on an industrial model that is no longer relevant. Um, and so I don't like, I I think he makes fantastic points about that. Um, and so, and, and I think it's easier too. like, we like things to be measured. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we like to be able to know what the score is. It's uncomfortable when it's it's messy and and awkward, um, and so I think that's I think that's part of it. Um, and and so, but for for my kids, like we had this conversation yesterday. My oldest daughter, um, they do swim team, and it's pretty competitive. And she did really well her first meet, so they moved her up. To swim against all the people that swim year round. So, there's really two types of swimmers in a club. There's the ones that do it during the summer because they love the camaraderie of the neighborhood and all that. And then there's swimmers that it, that's their thing. And they swim in the winter and the spring and the fall and they're really, really good. Um, and so, they moved her to the really, really good lanes. And so, she went from winning first place a bunch the first race to getting a bunch of third place. And so, we had this great conversation yesterday about. Would you rather win easy races or get a lot better by swimming against better people? And she said, "I want to get better. I want to be faster." Um, and so I think part of it is is looking at those two different things and going like, "Hey, here, like, there's different paths," and um, and and then creating space where the kids feel like they can fail. And I've, there's been so many good books about. Um, about how you should praise the effort, not not the kind of achievement. Because like, mm. what happens with a parent is that your kid shows interest in art, and then because we're all lazy, it's like, you're now an artist, and like now I have something to give you every birthday and Christmas. I don't have to think at all. And like you just overwhelm them with this title of artist until they hate it. Uh-huh. Um, and you suffocate the thing that they were just kind of curious about versus going, wow, you worked really hard on that. Like, As soon as you give a kid an identity of success, they're afraid to fail. Versus wow. going... Wow. The, you know, the failure was part of it. Like, Hey, you know, great job, you know? And, and somebody, I don't, I forget who somebody told me, and I thought this is such a like perfect point. They said adults push kids to be brave when they're not being brave themselves. And so like an adult will drop a kid off at a birthday party and the kid's like, I don't know anybody and they're like, just go do it, go do it. And then like that adult will be afraid to go to like an like a like a dinner party themselves. You know, or they'll <laughs> go like, New school, just start a new school, you're fine. And then the adult's like, I can't change jobs, I don't know anybody at the new job. And so I think I think that's some of the stuff I think about with with parenting. Um huh. is how do we how do we do that? As far as self awareness, um, it's hard. Um it's hard depending on the type of person you are. I know I've heard Chris Rock, the comedian say before that it's really hard as a comedian because to be a comedian, you have to turn on this part of you that's constantly looking and searching and putting pieces together, and then it's hard to turn that off
2: mm-hmm.
1: so I think I you know i I think self obsession to me is worse than self awareness mm. um, you know I, I think I think self awareness can be taken to unhealthy extremes and you know, I think self obsession to me is that we're all living in Warhol's fifteen minutes of fame, um, and that you know we all think we're like we all have this shot of of fame. And like I wrote about this on my blog, uh, I put this on Acuff.me yesterday. We are at the American Girl doll store, and I travel some for my job as an author and a speaker. And so it was like ten forty five on a Wednesday morning. I was I took a picture of my kids at this American Girl doll store, and I was going to say, "How do you balance?" travel and, and life, you, you know, you go to the American Girl Love store at 1045 on a Wednesday and I was about to post it and I was like, why am I doing that? And I realized I'm doing that to make strangers think I'm a good dad.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like that's what it's about. I think that they think I travel too much. So I want to them to know I'm a good dad. And then like the irony is I'm missing being a good dad in order to look like, <laughs> like I'm leaving. I'm exiting the moment to document the moment. Uh-huh. That's garbage. And yeah. so I think that's where for me, Self-awareness mutates into self-obsession. Like, yeah. So I, I think that's a, that's a cultural thing right now.
4: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to fifty percent off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
1: Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt.
4: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com.
3: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi.
2: Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's, it's so interesting, uh, how, how quickly self-awareness can, can turn into that, especially when, you know, your life is so publicly on display.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, we're all, we all have, we all have a platform uh-huh. and that's the weird thing. I mean, it's such a weird word. Like I'm, I'm just starting to, I'm speaking at this conference, the world domination summit. Yeah. And one of the ideas I'm going to talk about is that when you see, when you start to see people as your platform, you eventually stand on top of them uh-huh. and like, and there's that's just a really weird thing that we do now. Like, and twenty or thirty years ago, you didn't have a platform. Like, the average person didn't worry about that. They didn't think. Like, people come up to me all the time and are like, "You're not monetizing your audience enough," and I feel like a failure or ashamed. And they act like there's this pile of money I'm refusing to just just go collect. And I think, but that's not one. That's not what I feel called to do. Uh-huh. Two. It's not what I enjoy doing. And three, like. My audience isn't my ATM.
2: Yeah. Let me ask you this. Uh, Let's talk about that idea of when you see people as your platform, you stand on top of them. I want to expand on that because it's a really, really interesting perspective. uh, One that I think people need to hear uh, and learn more about. And I'm really glad you're going to be sharing that in the room that you're sharing it in.
1: Yeah. So I think there's, there's this great obsession right now to monetize whatever it is you're doing um and i've learned i'm learning things like you can't monetize joy hmm. like you can't it's the fastest way to not enjoy something now i think on the flip side there are people that they would say my thing is building businesses and part of business is making money and so like i'm not against money it's not that i just there's a there's this this and my my wife needs to do a book like she most of the stuff i say is from conversations with her cuz she's so brilliant um, she got her undergrad in photojournalism and then got a full ride to Georgia Tech to get a master's in construction management. So like she's just renaissance. And so we were talking about it. and She said, John, you need to ask the question, how can I help people, not what can I sell people? Because when you ask the wrong question first, it goes badly. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of people that ask, How can I, what can I sell people? And then they never get to the how can I help people? Now, if you ask how can I help people, you can sell them stuff like if it's going to help them. But when you only ask, what can I sell, it just, it goes off the rails and people know. Mm-hmm. And you have to do all these things where you're kind of trying to trick them. And like, it just, it just, I don't know, it's, it's not, and you don't feel good about it as the audience. Mm-hmm. You feel taken advantage of, um, you know, and, and there's like a handful of books that are teaching the same way to do it. And so like the same group of people are reading the same book and doing the same thing. And then you just, you can spot the cell from a mile away and it's, Position as it's helpful to you, and just I don't know. It just and the the thing for me is I'm really tempted to do that. Like I don't rail against it because I'm against it. I uh-huh. rail against it because like the dark parts of me are like, oh, I've been in advertising for 15 years. I know how to structure this sentence, right. you know, and like that. So that comes out of me quickly, and I'm like I'm constantly beating it back with like a hammer. Um, but yeah, so I don't. It's it's really weird. I've just seen a lot of people ruin their thing because. They felt like, here's, I guess here's an example I'd give. So you start a blog, and you start a blog because you love to write. And you've got these ideas, and you're like, i got to write about these ideas. I love them. And you write about, you know, you write 100 ideas, and one of the ideas goes viral and gets really popular. And you look at the analytics on it, and you go, huh, if I wrote about that topic more, I could get more traffic. And then if you're not careful, you start to take steps down that, and then you look up six months later and you're exclusively writing about a topic that used to be one of 100 things you cared about but now is the only thing. Mm-hmm. And, and so then you have to do the hard work and go, so why does traffic matter? Like, okay, that's your new thing. You go, well, traffic matters because then I can get more advertising. You go, okay, why does advertising matter? And You go, well, if I get more advertising, I get more money. And so then if you're honest, you'll, you have to admit that I'm writing about stuff I don't like to earn money. <laughs> so essentially, if I came to you and said, "Hey, hey, hey. I will pay you not to write things you enjoy. Mm-hmm. I will pay you, you know what? I'll pay you to never write." You'd go, "That's a terrible deal. I'm a writer. Why would I why would I take that deal?" And and it's slow steps there. And so like, I don't know, I hope that it's well received, you know, mm-hmm. the, these ideas, but like that's what I'm curious about is that we're in this age where everybody feels they have to monetize. Everybody's kind of doing the same kind of gimmicks. And I think it's short-term and I want to have a long-term conversation. Um, And so I'm, and I, again, like I feel ashamed when someone, I come home all the time from lunches with, and I'll tell Jenny, I'm like, oh my gosh, we need to be doing like 17 of these other things. And she's like, no, you don't. Like you're an author. Like you need to write good books. That's the other thing Uh is that the, we, we don't want to admit that we're limited yeah. Um, that we have infinite time and infinite creativity and infinite energy. So people ask me all the time, like, you should do a podcast. You should, like, where's your podcast? And I, I love podcasts. Like, I think there's a lot of great ones. But I know right now I feel thin already. And what I've learned is that, the like, the more successful you get at doing something, the more invitations you get to not do it. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you write good books, you get to speak a bunch, you uh-huh. get to endorse a thing, you get to do all this stuff that doesn't involve you having your seat in a chair writing books. Um, and I, I asked, um, Adrian, um, Zachheim, who's, you know, the, the publisher at Portfolio. I said, what's the most important thing I need to know about writing? Like, what does a writer need to know? And he thought for a second, cause he's brilliant. He's one of the smartest people I've ever met. And he said, remember, it's about the book. Yeah, he said. I see a lot of authors that get one book, and then they become consultants, and then they become all, and now they're working for all these clients, and they don't write a good second book. Uh-huh. And so those, you know, those are kind of the things I think about the monetization question and the like. We, you can't do everything. Something's going to suck. Like mm-hmm. that's just. Like you can't, like either you're not going to be present to your wife or husband or your partner or whatever, or you're not going to be around with your kids or like you can't do it all. And that's not a fun message, but that's, that's been my experience in life.
2: Wow. Uh, Well, let's do this. Let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, There's a couple of things I want to ask you about. Uh, both from your time with Dame Ram- Dave Ramsey and the beginning of all of this, one of the things you said is that you had this sort of burning desire for your creativity to be expressed. Not, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm wondering why yours stuck and why most people's doesn't as they get older.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, I think that's a, a good question. Why did, why did mine stick? Um, you know what? I think a big part of it is I have a wife who believes in me. Um, I have a wife who believes me and a wife who is patient. Um, I think like every, every week or so, like, here's an example. So do over, um, the last book I wrote, Seth Godin gives this amazing endorsement, like just the nicest thing ever. And Jenny said, Hey, are you ready to finally admit you're the writer Seth Godin thinks you are like, can we, can we go ahead and believe that now? Like we're book five. Can you believe, can you admit a <laughs> writer and believe that? And so she, I think she saw something in me before I did and was patient and honest enough to call it out. Um, So I think a lot of it was, was and is my relationship um, with my wife. And then the other thing is that I had people along the way that would encourage me and tell me, Hey, here's this, you know, here's this thing you need to pursue. Um, I think, I think if I'm being super honest and I talk about this all the time, um, at least with friends. Not, not a lot on podcasts. I think there's a part of me, like the broken part of me, that it is an approval addict that fueled some of my blogging. Hmm. Um, I, don't think it, I don't think it fueled all of it, but I think that some of my desire to be liked by strangers, um, which doesn't have to be unhealthy, but can be expressed in a lot of unhealthy ways. Like there were times where that was kind of the poison fuel that was driving you know, what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that was, that was part of it. Um, and then I don't know, I think I've been, I've been given a lot of opportunities that I can't say that I earned, um, that I, you know, I, I had the, the, the great fortune to react to them when they happened. Um, but I, you know, I wish there were seven steps I took, but (laughs) those, like, I can't, like those, when, when a book promises you, if you do exactly what I've done, it'll happen to you too. I just think that's the, no, it's, that's not true. It's like when Donald Trump writes a book on how to be rich, like page one should be be born rich.
2: Um, <laughs> and the second book, should be, the second
1: page should be the end. Like, come on, dude. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, well, I want to talk briefly uh, about the time working with Dave Ramsey, um, just because, I mean, you've gotten to be up close and personal with sort of an iconic figure from the media, somebody who's really, you know, kind of a household name. And I'm interested in what you, you what you learned about mastery of a craft uh, from working up close with somebody like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I learned a ton. It was like getting a Ph.D., um, this guy, Robert D Smith, who manages this author, Andy Andrews said to me, um, that my time with Dave fast forwarded my career by 10 years. And I, I think he's right. Um, I think he's 100% right. Um, when people say like, Hey, the reason your first book hit the New York T- or that, I guess the reason your fourth book at the New York times list was cause you worked with Dave Ramsey. Like I, like I go, yeah, that guy was gigantic to my career. Um, so I think as I start to think through like specific things, I mean, I think there are very few people that I could point to that have done such a good job of staying on message for so long. Hmm. Like he's had a 20 year message that there's still people discovering new today. And there's still people that have been going through it for years that it still feels fresh to them. Um, so it's really hard for me to find somebody that's done it to, to, that degree. Um, and then just like watching him speak, you know, getting feedback, um, and I didn't have a ton of personal day-to-day interaction with him because a lot of people know it's like a 500-person company. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a very big company. Um, but I did do live events with him. And a lot of what I learned, I learned from watching how he did what he did. And so, like, the way he would communicate with an audience. Um, I remember, like, I still quote this. Somebody asked him about life balance because it's a popular question. Like, how do you balance life? And he said, life balance is a myth. Like, you're never in perfect balance. And he said, there's always something out of balance. It's just about having, like, the right thing out of, out of balance. And he said, for instance, when you train for a marathon, you run a lot more than you would any other year. Like, that's out of balance. But that's a deliberate, on purpose, out of balance. And so a lot of what I learned was sitting in the back of the room and going, oh, I see what he did there. Like, that's, you know, oh, that's that's a really interesting point. Or So, yeah, I, I mean, there's... Like the list of things, and then just the idea of how do you build a personal brand? Because I was already into that as a concept. Mm -hmm. Um, I read Tom Peters' book uh, Brand You in 2000. Um, The Brand You 50, I think, is what it was called, and that blew my mind. Like, oh my gosh, this guy's this is where it's going. And I think 15 years later, we're just catching up to that book. But watching, you know, watching Dave's decisions about. OK, here's a situation you need to be smart about or, you know, just little stuff like, hey, when you're doing a live feed on camera, a video camera and you're in another studio, stay smiling because they're going to come back to you when you don't know it. And like <laughs> it's little things like that that I just I tried to soak up as much as I could.
2: Uh, well, let's do this. Uh, let's start talking about the entire concept of a do over and where the ideas have come from, and, and sort of the pillars of this book, and, and what you're hoping people will take away from it.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the, the book started with I had a career do-over. For 15 years, I worked in corporate America. And and I went off on my own. Um, and I had this gigantic career transition. And people, people acted like it was going to be just the worst thing ever. Because I, I did quit a Popular, successful position, you know. On the outside, I understand people thinking like that's a crazy thing to do. But if it's the right thing to do, it's the right thing to do. And so, and I can't write books r- daring people to risk and then not risk myself. Yeah. Um, like eventually, there's hypocrisy that happens if you're not careful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I had this big do-over, and I I started to realize that the reason it wasn't as you know, challenging. And it it was hard, but it wasn't impossible is that I'd been building what I call a career savings account for the last five years. And, and the items that are in the career savings account, which, you know, any great career has in common are relationships plus skills, plus character times hustle. Um, those are kind of the four pillars. And <clears throat> the fun thing is none of your listeners are blown away right now by any of those words. Like nobody's like, oh my gosh, John Jacob said skills matter. Like <laughs> I'm so glad we finally got him. Um, but most of us have bought into the cultural lie that a job is just a job. Like mm-hmm. 70% of Americans are dissatisfied at work. Um, that the line I always do is that there's a reason we eat at TGI Fridays, not TGI Mondays. <laughs> um, and so what happens is you spend 18 years getting ready for college and then you graduate and the next thing you get ready for, are death and retirement. And there's this 40-year gap where you just kind of get by. And so the fun thing is we all have these elements. We just haven't applied them. And you need all four. Like if you only have three, the whole thing falls apart. Like say you have tremendous relationships, tr- like crazy skills, crazy hustle, but your character takes a hit, you become Tiger Woods and it, it falls apart. Like when commentators right now are like, it's so weird, he's not good at golf. I always think like, is it that weird? Because a part of his life blew up. Yeah. Like of course it impacted the others. Now is there a chance for a second chance in redemption? Of course there is. But it's, you know, the things like when one leg gets knocked out, it's difficult. And so the book is about, you know, in positive do-overs and negative do-overs because there's multiple kinds. Like getting a, getting a book deal is a do-over. Graduating from college is a do-over. Um, a do-over is just, is just change. And we live in a culture that is changing faster than it ever has before. Um, I talked to somebody out in um, San Francisco the other day, and he was telling me about his job search. And he said, well, a lot of companies like my resume because I have good longevity with the last company. And I said, well, how long were you there? And he said, I was there a year. I thought, so a year is our new definition of longevity. Like things are moving quickly. Industries are changing. And so we need to be prepared to handle do-overs, and that's what the career savings account's about. Like how do you invest in those four things – so that you can get to spend that account on any job you want. Cause I don't know what you're going to do in 10 years and neither mm-hmm. do you, but I know you'll never have a job where they're like, we wish you had less skills, like, or we <laughs> wish you were less connected, you know, uh-huh. and had less relationships. So that's what the book's about.
2: Interesting. Why do you think so many people spend the entirety of their lives living in that 40 year gap?
1: Um, I think it's easier. Um, it's, you know, it's, there's, like we talked about earlier, like there's some things that we're afraid to actually look at or admit. Um, I think I talked to a child psychiatrist the other day and I, I said, hey, because I was just curious. Um, and I said, do you think that a lot of problems, a lot of things that happen to us as children carry with us and kind of chase after us when we're adults? And she said, I very rarely will meet an adult whose problems started in adulthood. Hmm. And I thought, what a great way to say it. And she said, unless it's an overt tragedy, unless you're a 40-year-old and you lose a child. And like that is this crazy tragedy that comes out of nowhere. She says, most of us, though, carry into childhood or carry into adulthood what began in childhood. So I think part of why people live in the 40 is that at 12, somebody who mattered to you said you're, you know, your dreams don't matter, they're dumb. Like, here's our family belief. And so, what happens is we carry a lot of secret rules into adulthood about how our life works and how the world works. And we never take the time to identify what they are. And then we just live by them. Mm. And I think that's going to be in my next book. I'm kind of working through the idea, but I think that's part of it.
2: Yeah. Let me ask you this: Uh, one of the things we haven't really talked about, and something that I have been asking a lot of people, is about failure and sort of really dark parts of this entire story and journey of yours. Have there been any?
1: Oh yeah, totally. I mean, there's like there'll probably one tomorrow. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I think the after I after I left, um, I was just hit with the overwhelming reality that like the person who was holding me back was me. You know, when you have a boss, it's very easy to blame them. It's very easy to go, oh, the things I'd do if this company wasn't, you know, oh, the things I could do, and then you don't have that anymore, and it's like you go, oh, wait a second. I'm i I'm the one. Like, my wife, Jenny, said, why are you taking so many Advil? And I said, well, my neck hurts. I'm stressed. I got a lot to do. And she was like, well, then you have a horrible boss, and it's you. And that, like, that was, you know, a bitter pill to kind of deal with. Um, so as far, but also it was it was public. Like, I left a public profile, you know, and And so like, it was hard, like it was hard to have had a very public, honest conversation as a blogger and then not get to share stuff because, and I shouldn't have shared it. It's, you know, I left the company, there's HR stuff, you know, like there's things we're not supposed to share, but that was a, like, that was a a time where like, oh, wow, I got it. Like, I have to go quiet on this, you know, not in a bad way, just in a, like, I wouldn't want you to tweet your salary, you know, like that's private. Um... But as far as, like, I'm trying to think, like, re- like recent failure, um, I don't know. I, I think that for me, um, like, I'm really hard on myself, you know? So there's it fe- some days feel, like, very full of failure just because I've given into to the internal voices of, like, you're not doing the right thing. There's some days where, we're, we're like, whatever I choose to do is not the right thing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this isn't the thing you're supposed to focus on right now. There's, like, four other things that are very clear to everybody but you. And it's like, well, which ones are they? So, yeah, I mean, but as far as, like, I don't know, like, a specific moment of failure doesn't come to mind. It's more like there's, like, handfuls of times where you expected, you know, 60 people to be at your thing and seven came. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's that's significantly less than 60. Um And you just go, huh. But what I've learned is that like chasing a dream or doing something that matters is awkward. Like it just is. Like if you want less awkwardness, have a normal job. If you want more (laughs) awkwardness, dare to care. Like awkwardness will find you like a magnet.
2: Wow. Well, I I think that makes a really nice way to to wrap up our chat. And so I want to ask you one last question, which is how we finish all our interviews at the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
1: Um, I think it's them living out of who they are. Um, like I, that to me, like using your voice, being like we've totally ruined the words authentic and transparent. <laughs> um, but like living out of who you are in in your uniqueness and the gifts you were given and using them to your fullest, like that's what. Like, the only way that, like, to me, the only way you become unmistakable is if you be you. Like, mm. we already have Gary Vee. Like, like, we have Tim Ferriss. Like, we don't need a second one. They're awesome. at. Like, Tim Ferriss is awesome at being Tim Ferriss. Yeah. Like, you stink at being Tim Ferriss. And you should. <laughs> and so, like, that's what makes you unmistakable is the bravery to kind of march into the deep forest of who you are and be that person. Like, mm. To me, that's – I don't know. That's what makes you unmistakable.
2: Well, John, this has been great. Uh, yeah, I really it appreciate you. It felt heavy.
1: That. Was it too heavy? I never know if something's <laughs> heavy.
2: All the conversations here have been known to, to be like that.
1: Uh, yeah, because like the book is really funny. That's always – I don't do a good job of like – Jim Gaffigan said it was funny, which to me was like hooray. Like getting awesome. to endorse the book. I was like hot pocket. That is fantastic. So yeah, so hopefully it wasn't too heavy. Sometimes I get into kind of like heavy counting crows mode and it's no. raining here. Um, so I was very like long December, um, <laughs> you know, round here kind of vibe. So we'll see how it, maybe yeah. you can spice it up with some editing, some, some <laughs> music in the background. That I, like
2: I actually don't think sweater. we need to edit it. I think people love these deep conversations. And uh, like I said, I mean, this has been phenomenal.
1: Oh, good. Well, I had fun doing it. Great, yeah. great questions.
2: Yeah. And for everybody listening, we'll wrap the show with that. If you like what you heard, the greatest compliment you could give us is to share the show with a friend and let people know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to The Unmistakable Creative.
3: Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has
4: all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus,